Today we have a special guest from the West Coast, former University of Memphis head coach and currently head coach of University of California, Bakersfield. Good morning, Richard Grant. Hey, John. How are you? Good morning to you. Very good. Great to see you. Great to have you on the, on the podcast. Um, we'll start it off real quick. We'll get you going and we'll talk about your coaching pathway from uh, your time in the States. Uh, I've seen America. I was going to go all the way back to to Well, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the way back. Where you started. Um, um, because I was very fortunate, John, just with um, such positive uh, influences around me since schoolboy football. And that really, you, when you ask yourself how you get into coaching, I think there's a few people along the way that really shaped that journey for you, you know. So as a schoolboy kid, uh, my dad was the first ever coach, you know, so it was under 10s football, you know, and um, that, that was just, it was just interesting to see him start out much more of a manager than a coach, um, but certainly was, um, so it was kind of in the family, you know, the love for football. Right. Um, but when it got more competitive at 16 and 17, I was, I was, I was lucky in that I had um, young managers that were still playing. So they were just so keen uh, because they were on their coaching journey as well. So you were just watching it through them and then you'd go watch them play senior football. Um, but they, they had good sessions. They were competitive. Uh, they were eager to grow in their career. So it was just around good schoolboy football. Um, after that, it's kind of a big one for, for many of us here in the States is the Kalashta Ida, uh, the growth of that course. And... So I grew up in Dublin in the, the late 80s and the first ever um, football association course was at Kaloshta, um Owen in Finglas and it was in 1988-89 and the intent of this was to kind of start out as a football course for training players, hopefully produce League of Ireland lads or lads that would maybe get across to England and Paddy Gallagher was was kind of instrumental he was one of the coaches so part of it was that we would do an FAI segment um, and he would bring different lads in to speak to us um, Derek Gaffney came back from Akron University one Christmas and sat us all down and spoke to us and it was just about the opportunities in America that we were kind of unaware of you know um, so that kind of flipped the course into as much as we were training to be footballers, it kind of opened our eyes to the United States and the opportunity maybe to go out there and to get into coaching and, and, and particularly playing or, or the route of scholarship. Um, so Paddy was great for bringing other people and putting them around us. We were working on our, our badges. So Noel King was one of our instructors at the time. Um, so we would have to do um, sessions with him. And that was also just really eye-opening in how to to build and construct training sessions. And he was working with, I believe, Home Farm at the time, or, or Shamrock Rovers in the, the League of Ireland. Um, so from there, it just, uh, Derek left us a Soccer America magazine. And uh, this would be very strange for people now in, in the world of, of technology, but all it had was a list of every university in the United States, the coach's name, the address, um, a little bit about their style of play or their scholarship background. And from there, we would write letters away to these schools. And so you were really in the dark, you know, you didn't know much about the places. Um, 
but a, a guy called John Lynch and I both ended up uh, in college in Vermont um, at Green Mountain College and played for Chris Gilmore. Chris's brother is Dan Gilmore, who was at Rowan University uh, for many, many years in New Jersey. Um, and that was it for me. Um, when, when we met Chris and understood that his job was to coach the football team on campus, uh, the soccer team, I couldn't get over that that could be a career path or a job and that you got paid for it. You know, we were used to part-time coaches. They'd have other jobs. Um, and here he was, his job was to, to manage the team, um, set up the schedule, coach the team. And it was the most amazing four years. And right away, it was like, what's the path for us to continue to do that, which at the time was to go to grad school, um, get a master's degree, continue your coaching education. Um, and I did that at Bloomsburg University with, with John O'Leary. Um, when I finished college, John at um, Green Mountain, I went out and played for a guy called Buzz Lagos in Minnesota. And um, amazing coach. And I knew then even at that stage that while I was playing, I was coming home each night and writing down the training sessions. You know, so it was already scheming of how, how do you, you go to the next level? Because at the time there was no MLS you knew that the playing career was, was going to be pretty limited. Um, it was very short. It was just, there wasn't as many opportunities or, or uh, teams to play for. So coaching was kind of a natural avenue for you to look at to, to pave your way in the States. Um, and from Bloomsburg University, it was, I was 25 and went to Lambert University in Tennessee. Um, and that was, you know, I was pretty young to be a head coach, but it was great. Uh, brought over a bunch of the Irish boys from Collage to Eda to play for us there. And it was from there to Memphis to now uh, CSUB. Wow. What a journey. That's Starting a longer answer than you wanted, isn't it? <laughs> Starting on the, no, that's fine. Starting on the East Coast and working your way down to Tennessee and mm. getting out west. Some some interesting names there with Paddy Gallagher and Noel and then Boys Lagos and those guys. It's, uh, yeah. it's great to hear those names. As you progress then, Richie, um, I guess over time you've had some great moments in coaching. What would you put as your best coaching moment and why? Um, yeah, and you're always looking for more of them, John, to be honest with you, you know, and that's, that's kind of as you approach each season, that's what you're hoping for. And this year, thank God, we're on the feet, you know, um, just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're taping in real COVID time here, but. Um, the um at Memphis I had a group, a couple of really strong teams. Um and we did the team won a championship in two thousand and four, which was Conference USA. Um and from that a bunch of players got professional opportunities. Um but that was the most special season. Um and if I could I, I work to try and recreate that with any of the teams that you have because it wasn't just the winning. It was the bond amongst the players. And their success story, John, came from a story of failure to success. In the previous season, um, our school was hosting the conference championship. And um, the pressure of that, it's a bit of a kiss of death. We didn't make the conference tournament on our own campus. So me and the lads on the team are working the tournament. We're ball boys. 
we're helping run a conference championship on our own campus, but not participating. And that influenced a change in mentality, uh, a change in, in training etiquette, a change in desire for the following season. So um, after nine months of, of work from those lads, recruiting, all of us putting our heads down, um, was the most successful season on the campus for those lads the following year. I think the team won 16 games, was as high as number 10 in the country, um, and won a conference championship uh, down 0-2 uh, to UAB and came back and, and won a 3-2. Um, and what is so special about that, John, I think anybody in coaching is, is the bond of the players, uh, that there's a special relationship that continues long afterwards. And I think the success brings that about. Uh, the journey brings that about, the failing the year before and wanting to write something that was wrong. Um, so special group, a lot of special memories and players in there. I guess hosting the championship and seeing the celebration when it was over was another impetus for them to come back the following year. Big time. And working it as well, you know, just the players. But it was. That was enough to motivate them. They didn't run away from it and they, they made a conscious decision to want something better the following year. Very good. I guess then we'll, we'll touch on your worst or most challenging um, time in coaching. Um, what was it and uh, what did you learn from it? <laughs> um, or do you have numerous? <laughs> what's that? Do you have numerous? Or you have numerous. numerous. <laughs> um, I, I do think that um, I, I really get disturbed about any injury to any player, whether that's in, in training or games. And, and if you're in it long enough, you're, you're going to witness ACLs, um, you know, broken, broken bones are particularly bad just because of the, uh, the noise and the emotion that comes with that, you know, carrying a player off the pitch at any time. And I, and I can think of a few of them, not, not too many, uh, thankfully, but there's, there's certainly some hardships with that. And that jumps out right away. Um, there, there's, um, I think losing, in, I know you could say it's okay when, when you advance to semifinals, but sometimes losing in, in semifinals can be quite, um, quite challenging as well. It's hard to put them down as the worst experience. Um, but um, we, had, we had one moment. Uh, I wouldn't call it the worst experience, but a little bit. There's not many things you regret, John. Um, but we did have, we had... Um, a quarterfinal, semifinal, final experience in the Western Athletic Conference when I got out here in 2014. Um, and this would be a challenge more to myself, but um, the semifinal, we advanced on penalty kicks against Seattle. And in that game, we had made a, a premeditated decision that if it went to penos, we would change our goalkeeper. Um, so we did, and the goalie stepped in, and he was, he was very, very good, um, Anthony stepped in for Nicholas. Um, so he helped us win the game. It puts us in the final. So when we're approaching the final, we, we have premeditated that we would do the same thing if the final goes to Penos. And it's against UNLV. And sure enough, it goes to Penos. Wow. Um, and we're getting ready to make the same changes that we have made on the, on the Friday. Um, but the goalie who's about to go in doesn't have his jersey. He's not ready. And I just remember having a moment of like, he's not ready. I shouldn't use him. But you stick with what the plan was at the start. And we lose the final on penos. And I'm not saying this is a horrific moment. Um, 
but I just wish that maybe we had have gone with the instinct of that um, of now switch it back to the other lad. It would have been a braver decision because it worked the opposite way the day before. And where I'm going with all this is like you can premeditate decisions in games and sometimes they work for you, but you also have to have the flexibility to make a decision on the moment as well. And, and I remember having that feeling of like, I should switch and leave the goalie as it is because the other lad is just not ready today. Um, now I'm very cautious about calling that big regret. It's just a tactical moment that I, I remember um, walking over in, in your mind, you know. But um, uh, fortunately, not too many injuries. But um, yeah, that's a long way of of. Uh, no, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good answer. It's, I, I like the way you touched off with the injuries initially, that, like being your worst moment and finishing up there with a semi-final and a final with yeah. those decisions. It's good. It's good insight. Um, you've, you've coached a lot of players, Richie, over the years. You've seen a lot of talent. Some have made it. Some have fallen by the wayside. In all your years, you can name a couple of players. You don't have to name them. You can you can talk about around naming them. Yeah. Who's your, your your best or most? Or let's go this way. Who's your best player and who's your most promising players? Yeah, best players. There's um. And, and it's it's wonderful to think about that because you'd like to think in any given year you have players that remind you of the other good players and particularly those that stand out that made it. And I talked about that year at Memphis and it was such a transformation year where I'm a big believer in a lot can happen in a year. And we're in college coaching because change is such a big part of it, watching young men grow and become um, by becoming better footballers, better men in that, in that journey. But uh, some of those lads at Memphis, it, it, it's something we would pass on to players now. It's amazing the ones that do well then get more opportunities afterwards. Um, and I had a couple of lads in, in that group in Memphis. The first player ever to be drafted to the MLS came from that 2004 team. And that's not a surprise. And then that opens, uh, his name was Danny Dobson, went to... Kansas City Wizards that opens the door to every other player to then believe that they can do it as well and within two years two more lads then went on to play as well and got drafted after their senior year uh, Dayton O'Brien was an All-American from Memphis and he was um, fantastic left foot great player and he was part of that team but he was young in that team and then he went on to play Andy Metcalf was a goal scorer uh, went on to play for uh, DC United scored against Celtic. Um, and I think they were byproducts of seeing Dobson go and then believing that they could do it. Um, years later, we had a really good player, uh, Mark Sheridan, who got um, who got drafted by Houston Dynamo. So they stick out just because I think to get to that level, and it's getting harder and harder to get drafted into the MLS, but when that happens, they've obviously had qualities that helped your program and, and separated themselves a little bit. Um, but when I was first coaching at, at Lambert, John, um, we went back and recruited the Kalosh to Eda lads. And you'll laugh at this one. Um, but in 95, I, I, the first player I ever brought over from Ireland was Jerry Cleary. Okay. And he was playing for Paddy at home. And he is just one of those. We're still close to this day. Um, but he's one of those players that you want on your team. 
he's one of those players that you don't want to play against. And I think we do a lot of scouting, you know, but he is a player that you would circle. He had a tremendous ability in the air for a small guy. Um, but he was one of the grittiest players that I've ever coached. And I think on any team that I've had, I would want his quality or his characteristic in the team. Because if the game was tight, he was a winner. Uh, he was a competitive, uh, really competitive spirit, which, which just pushed on the rest of the team. He was one of those that you had to get to his standards, particularly on the pitch. Um, and it was no surprise that he, he certainly got accolades for himself, but he was part of three championship teams when he played. And that's him driving it on. When he gets into coaching afterwards, John, as a grad assistant, he wins a national championship with CBU women. Uh, he becomes a women's coach at Martin Methodist. He wins two national championships. They give him the men's job. He wins the national championship. So there's just something in his personality, in his drive, in the way that he sees the game that I'm really attracted to that type of captain, that type of footballer, because it makes your job a lot easier because it pushes the program forward. They're very rare, those people. The, the, the very rare. Jerry, and he, to find one of those, it's like a diamond in the rough these days. And if you ask Jerry who his favourite player was, he'd say Jerry Cleary. <laughs> That's definitely Jerry for sure. Jerry's <laughs> currently in Kansas, right? He's coaching there. That's right. He's at... He's at Fortes, and he will win there as well. Absolutely. He is a rare commodity because he's the only coach, I think, that's currently coaching that has both men's and women's national championships. That's right. And also won as a player. Yeah. And so, um, it's, John, that's what made him, if I can recreate a player that, that has those, that, those skill sets, those qualities. He's a wonderful footballer as well. He had, he had great balance. And I think if he was playing now in where it's a bit more, uh, there's more attention on Division One, more opportunities, the games are, are streamed, there's more scouting, I think he would be the type of guy that would get an opportunity, you know? Right. Excellent. Um, over the years then, as the game has developed and different coaching apparatuses come on board and different things, for you, what's your... your, your, your your go-to things when you're coaching? What, what do you like to use? Do you like to have, like you'll simulate a certain situation on a field with different uh, coaching sticks or whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, the, the, for us, it's the, there's kind of a, there's equipment for training, um, apparatuses for, for coaching and facility enhancement. Um, the, the, the training part, we, we love the soccer tennis nets for lads to come out and warm up and have a bit of banter before and after training. It's very good for your cool down day when you play Friday, Sunday, uh, to let the lads relax. Um, we use the stick men a lot. Um, it's a, just a really good visual. It creates passing angles. In fact, we played 11 stick men there a couple of weeks ago and we, we only lost one nil. Um, <laughs> so we find them quite you fell over. We fell off. <laughs> <laughs> they're just brilliant for for setting up your training sessions uh giving you ideas having uh some decoys for the players to to have to to navigate um from a coaching perspective just the the, the cleanness of the coaching boards 
uh, whether they're in our locker room or, or they're mobile enough that we can take them on the road, on the bus. Um, the, the, the tactic sheets for set plays are invaluable for, for getting players now organized before the game. They have to know their jobs. So to be able to go on the road to the opposing dressing room and have a sheet and have it be clean and concise for the players. Um, and for us, you've been out to our facility um, but the game is the college game has grown so much and we're fortunate that we get good crowds but facility enhancement um, it's so important for us to have the right types of goals uh, the right technical area um, all those things enhance the facility and make players want to come play at your facility and it makes the product that much better Excellent. Is there any product with your travels and obviously you've been around and seen things, is there anything that you feel you don't have that you would like to have or could use or, or something that you have that you do use that you, you've uh, your go-to for the last number of years? I think putting the wheels on the goals, John, was just absolutely brilliant, you know, because uh, I think when, when you're a kid, to not, I think it's really important to shoot into nets. I see a lot of kids training, um, and I think this this now the mobile goal that coaches can bring to parks with them and set it up because kids need to work on their finishing. They need to feel like they're hitting the back of the net. Uh, it makes training a little bit more exciting. So I think the mobility of the goals, um, having them on wheels so that you can shrink your exercises and move your training sessions around has just really changed uh, training sessions, you know, and it's been been really good. It's a good investment. Um, the products always seem to last a long time as well. They're not gimmicky. Um, right. I'm a big fan as well of the small goals. We do a lot of the six goal games. So again, to have the mobility to move goals around um, at the training pitch and, and, and not wear out particular areas, um, but just that... Um, it, it, it always makes them feel like they're in a competition setting if there's, if there's nets to shoot into. Gotcha. With, with the current year and what we've endured over the last seven, eight months, how has it been for you as a coach professionally and obviously with the, the team? How have you coped with that? Um, with difficulty um, because it's new to all of us. You know, we, we tend to be problem solvers, coach, coaches. You, know, you, like to, you, you like to plan and know what's coming next. And in this moment, we've had, to, we've had to step back and be incredibly patient. Uh, the priority for us has been the, the, the players, um, a lot of them incoming, so they're not used to um, our environment yet. And, and then the returning players, just the, the emotion of not having a season, prolonging it, the never knowing. And in California, John, we've had, since March, we've been on the training ground for five days. Um, and we've been removed again because of COVID. So it's really been a long, long haul for the, for the players. Um, it's staying in touch with them, um, keeping up with them, kind of being encouraging that there, there will be a season at some point. The NCAA has not taken that season away. So that's kind of, it's opened up a lot of doors for some lads to continue their education by way of their master's degree. Um, right. But it's just making the best of the moment that they're in. Um, they can continue to work on their uh, on the physical component, on their endurance. Um, with some of them, it's been harder to develop technically because there's just not the arena that they can do that in, you know. So right. it's been a good challenge for all of us, a little bit of a mental 
uh, break. It's good to be older in this moment as well, because I have my own family. So it's, you can see it through a different lens. Um, and you just, you just want to support the lads and, and please God get through it. Excellent. Last one, Richie, we'll get you going. Um, advice for a younger Richie Grant. Younger. Yeah. I like John, I like this because as a coach, this is what we do with our players all the time. You know what I mean? That, that would be kind of, um, a constant, um, something that you would be prodding your players with when you're trying to get the best version of themselves you'd be asking them, would you have any regrets if it ended now? You know, what, what would you like to be different within your career? So you're always pushing them. Um, I think it's, it's vital. When you're on a college campus, it's very healthy. When you're in the coaching profession, there's a lot of really, really good people, particularly in America. Um, and to, I would say to, to get around people that want to help you do well get around as many people as possible that want to help you do well. And I think they're out there and you've got to go find them. You've got to learn from them. Um, you've got to challenge yourself. Um, so that would be something that I push my own players on. So I would certainly say that to, to a younger version of me. Uh, the other thing, John, with it is um, I, I would say to myself, it's, it's not about me. Um, you look back on some of the relationships, the way that you pushed players, because it's such a black and white business, winning and losing, you can get caught up in, in winning a lot when you're a younger coach. And you lose some relationships in there because you're coaching the players only to win football games. And as you get older, it gets a bit more relational. I would say the sooner that I could figure that out as a younger person, the better it's going to be for me. Um, so it's not with regret, but it's, it's, I think it's, um, it's something I would like to take on board as a younger coach. Gotcha. It's amazing how wise we get as we get older. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Richie, thanks a million for uh, taking the time today. Uh, we appreciate that very much. 